Welcome to Faith Bible College International's podcast, where we share spirit-filled preaching, teaching, and encouragement. For everyone living to make a world of difference in their life and the lives around them with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now I got to try to live up to the hype. <laughs> Look, uh, you guys can grab a seat. I'm so grateful to be here, and I'll be honest. Um, if you're from Canada and you're here, I'm sorry that you're not going to probably be able to get back across the border now that Dr. Ward blew you in. Um, but no, he, I, I'm blessed to be a part of an amazing church, an amazing pastoral team. I'm grateful that they let me be here. And uh, it's so cool to see what God can do. And it doesn't matter where you are. If you're faithful to God, it's amazing to see what God can do. You know, they were talking about driving out to Charleston and... Bangor's just like Horseheads. There's about nothing there. <laughs> but it's great to see when you're consistent and faithful to God that no matter what he asks you to do, he's always going to follow through on his promises. Amen? Yes. Look, I'm a pastor's kid. Um, but I, I might have missed like 10 services my whole life. <laughs> and uh, if you know this about pastor's kids, most of the time we end up in ministry or they end up like in an addict's house or in prison or it's like a rough shot for most pastor's kids and it doesn't have to be your story that way but predominantly that's what it's been but it doesn't have to be your story and if you're a pastor's kid in here I want to let you know that you've had a great privilege of seeing the church and seeing your parents sell out to the bride of Christ and he's coming back for a spotless perfect bride and I'm so grateful I got to grow up in that and it's been great. I've been on staff now for 12 years. You know, I was serving the devil pretty good, hiding it pretty well. And uh, I thought it was cool. So I bought a motorcycle. Because that's what you do when you're cool. You buy a motorcycle. And uh, it was my second time out on the road. And my dad said, don't get on the highway no matter what you do. And he was behind me on his motorcycle. And there was a straight shot that we could go back to the house or I could take a right and I could get on the highway. I was like, you know what? He's not in the car with me. I can go wherever I want and he has to follow. So I decided to put my blinker on and turn right to get on the highway. And my dad was my teacher and how to ride motorcycles and he's a great pastor but he's a horrible educator in terms of motorcycle driving and use because he never taught me this really important thing and it was it was a statement and it's so true and the statement is where you look is where you go and as I was turning you know you think that'd be like hey Cody we're on the way to get your motorcycle let me just tell you something real quick where you look is where you go that never came up not one time <laughs> And as I was making this right-hand turn, I made eye contact with a guy driving a Jeep Grand Cherokee. And I'll tell you what, I'm a very accurate motorcycle driver because I smacked that guy right smack dab in between his eyes with my motorcycle going like 30 miles an hour. It was wild. His eyes were about as wide as my hands as we locked them. And my eyes were probably just as wide as I realized there's no way I'm stopping what's about to happen. And at 30 miles an hour, I hit this Jeep Grand Cherokee on a little ninja. And I don't know much about math. I did really bad at it in high school. That's why I'm a preacher now. <laughs> and uh, what happened is I just need to run a budget. That's pretty easy. What happens is, what they tell me at least, is if you're on an object and it stops moving, you shouldn't. But what's wild, and really the Lord saved my life that day because I went straight up into a handstand and came down on my hands. The motorcycle was totaled, and I stood up, brushed my knees off. My dad, being a pastor, went into pastor mode, not dad mode. And he pulled his Harley over, stopped it, got up, walked up to me and said, I hope you're right with the Lord, boy. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Spencer. Not bad. And I wasn't right with the Lord. And I decided to get right with the Lord. 
because he literally saved my life when a moment that I should have been maimed or dead severely. And uh, man, I came on staff about six months later after that, started leading our youth ministry. We fired the guy before me. He brought it from 100 to 30. <laughs> really killed it, you know? And uh, it's been amazing over the last 12 years to build a ministry and build what God has asked you to do. And 10 years ago, the Lord, I was in a prayer meeting, well, about 11 years ago, about, about right now. I was in a prayer meeting with a couple other youth pastors and they, I felt the Lord say, Christianity is the largest demographic, but one of the quietest voices. And I felt them ask me to start the Uproar Conference and to make sure it's Pentecostal, Holy Ghost, Encounter with God, where purpose and identity and freedom are released. And then I felt them say this, and I want it to be free. So we booked a bunch of people, got permission from our pastor, and our first year was gonna be $23,000. That's like a decent amount of money, you know, that's $23,000. Some people don't make that in a year. And I didn't feel at all to do a fundraiser. Not a bake sale, not a car wash. I hate car washes. If you wanna learn how to make money, don't do a car wash. You're wasting your time, your money, you're wasting everything. Don't do a car wash. And the financial team kept coming to me. And look, we sent out invitations. We booked speakers. We booked bands. We spent the money that we didn't yet have because we knew the Lord asked us to do it. So financial team's coming up to me. They're like, where's the money? I'm like, did you get the mail today? <laughs> like, yes, Cody, we got the mail today. It's like, but did you check on the front of the mailbox? Because maybe it got stuck there. Did you look really good? Like, yes, we look good. It's not there. Where's the money that you keep saying is going to be here? I'm like, honestly, I, I don't know. Someone is supposed to be sending it, and apparently they're not listening to the Lord yet. So I don't know. And she was like, well, do a bake sale. I was like, I can't do a bake sale. The Lord didn't tell me to do a bake sale. So one day, um, one of the dads of one of the kids in youth ministry called me and he said, I want to meet with you and pastor on Friday morning, which is our off day at 830 in the morning. I was like, dude, come on. Like any other time, any other time I would love to meet with you, but not right now. Not at 830 in the morning on my day off. But I went and pastor went and I thought I was going to get in trouble. Like, you know, you get a parent, you get a parent calling you. They want to meet with you and the pastor. You're in trouble. Like, I'm like, what did I do? Did I say anything stupid? Did I do anything stupid? You're just running through that in your head. Right. And what happened is we get there and he just literally small talked for 30 minutes. I was like furious at the guy. I was like, I can't believe this guy got me out of my bed to talk about nothing on my day off at 8.30 in the morning. And you're like putting on like your happy preacher face. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm so happy with life. It's like, bro, like just leave. Is it almost time for you to go to work? And he was a realtor so he could work whenever he wanted. It was a mess. But at the end of the meeting, he gets up. He's like, oh, by the way, I want to give this to you guys. I was like, cool, thank you so much. And it was a check in an envelope. And I don't know if you've ever gotten a check in an envelope, but like, you don't really know when you're supposed to open it, right? It's like, <laughs> do I open it now? Do I like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom, open it then? <laughs> you know, like, you don't know when to open the check. Normally it's kind of awkward. So what we did, he looked at me, he's like, open the check. I was like, thank you. You made this very easy for everybody involved. I opened the check. And it was a $10,000 check. And we hadn't told anybody how much this thing was going to cost yet. A $10,000 check. Seven days later, the next Friday, we were at dinner with somebody. And she, was, she said, I've been praying about how much I should give. And I just, I haven't known yet. The Lord hasn't told me an amount yet. And I heard how much the other guy gave. And not out of competition, not out of rivalry, not out of anything, but I felt the Lord tell me to also give $10,000. So within a seven-day period, the Lord paid for the very first Uproar Conference, which was crazy. And we're currently planning year 11. We've not ever charged a dollar for anybody to hear the gospel. And we've seen over $650,000 come through over the last 10 years to pull off the Uproar Conference and see people ministered to and touched and set free. 
and it is my blessing to be able to be a part of that and, and, and carry that. It was cool. I didn't know that many people came to the upper conference that were up here already. I noticed a hoodie, and I was going to mention that. We got a hoodie in here, and my friend from Peckville's here. And man, it's so cool to see what God is doing. And I believe in, in this generation. I believe God's going to do something mighty in this generation, that there's ministers and young people being raised up that aren't going to do what everybody else has done, that haven't wasted their time, that haven't flaked out in five, ten years, that haven't tried to build their own kingdom, but they're, they're here to build the kingdom of God. And they're here to take back souls, not to run from the darkness, but to invade the darkness. And I'm excited to see fresh faces hungry for Jesus, saying that it's my moment, and I know that God has called me, and here we go. Amen? My wife would beat me up if I didn't say that I have an amazing wife. We're going on 10 years. And she really is amazing. Um, and then I have uh, two kids. Uh, Sophia is seven, and Julian is five. And Julian uh, has like 1.7 million views from Easter. Um, they always say it's like a good thing to bring kids up and do like a Easter song or whatever for the kids' church. Well, like every year, Julian's like, I'm not doing it. This is stupid. Like, he hates it. Last year, he told us, he said, I'll jump off if you make me go. <laughs> it's like, all right, don't go. But this time, he went. We're like, wow, good job, Julian. Like, he's really, like, grown in this thing. And my wife is videoing him, and I can't do the gesture because it's inappropriate. <laughs> and he's, like, doing this, doing this stuff. And then he hits a straight Michael Jackson move. Like, he's doing the hallelujah hand, looks at my wife, eye contact made, hallelujah hand, Michael Jackson. Like, hee hee, like Michael Jackson move, like, bro. And uh, he's getting mixed reviews on his moves in church. Some people said I need to cast out a demon. I don't know what to do with the kid, but we love him and he's great. And, uh, I want to preach, but before I preach, I want to pray with you real quick, because I just, I don't like church as normal, right? I'm just, I don't know. I feel like church as normal just gets so boring, like we do the same thing over and over, and we get in a routine of knowing, well, they're going to come up, and they're going to say their name, and they're going to joke a little bit, and then they're going to preach, and we just get into this motion, and it's weird, but can we turn this into a prayer meeting for the next couple minutes? I want to pray uh, just like Paul did out of Ephesians chapter 3, and, and legit, we're going to pray, all right? Ready? He, he prayed this. He said that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened through with power through his, your spirit in your inner being. Will you put your hands on your belly right now and just start to pray for an increase of power? Start just all the way from the back to the front. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you right now for an increase of power in our inner being. Lord, would you strengthen us to another level in this room? Father, would we not be the same when we walk out of here. We don't want the same things we've always had. Lord, we don't want to see the same results that we've always seen. Father, we don't want the same encounters that we've always had. Lord, would you pour your spirit out in this room to strengthen us in our inner man. Father, we know that regular exercise profits little, but Lord, our spirit growing is what matters. So I pray in the name of Jesus, even right now, that you would start to flood this room with an increase of your spirit and of your power that we wouldn't just do another little religious thing that father we wouldn't just go to church yet again but lord would you visit us in this room would you increase us in this place would you pour yourself out like never before so that you may dwell in our hearts through faith that we would be rooted and grounded in love that father we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses our very knowledge, yes. that we might be filled with the fullness of God, yes. that Father, we would impact this world, that the world would be different because of people in this room. Father, would you raise us up with strength tonight? Would you release a fresh power in our lives tonight? That we would be the ones that would turn the world upside down. In the name of Jesus. Can I hear a mighty amen in this room? 
Amen. Man, I was praying about what to speak to you guys, and I don't really do good at canned messages. You know, I just, I wanted to hear what the Lord wanted to say in this room. And I felt him say this. I felt him say the apostles gave their lives to preach Jesus. William Tyndale gave his life so he could translate the Bible into common English and produce it. That there's the blood of martyrs that still isn't yet dry in other nations. People are risking their lives to spread the good news even right now. And that often we look at this pulpit as the prize. But none of them did it for the pulpit. They did it for the prize and his name is Jesus. And if we're going to be people of power, we're not going to be people that chase pulpits. We're not going to be people that chase microphones or followers or lights or our own kingdoms. But we're people that chase what's really real and his name is Jesus. Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went away and sold all that he had and bought that field. When we think about it, really the call is to throw your life, not just a piece of your life, not just the pieces that you are okay with giving away, but the ministry. And if you're sitting in here and you're sitting as a Bible college student, I'd assume that you say you have a call to ministry. If you're sitting here interested in Bible college, I'd assume that you'd say, I have a call to the kingdom and I have a call to the ministry and I have a call to the fivefold and I have a call to serve the church, the bride of Christ. Can I tell you if that's your call? then the call isn't to give a little bit of your life. The call isn't to give your life for a year. The call is to throw your life, your whole life, all of your life at the kingdom from today until you meet with Jesus in eternity. That it's not a thing that wears off and it's not a thing that's that's sexy and fun, but the kingdom is what we throw our lives at and people have lost their life for it and people have, have given everything for it and this generation needs to be ones that rise up and say, that God, I'll go where you called me to go and I'll do what you called me to do and I'll give what you called me to give and I'll do it as long as you've asked me to do it and I'm not gonna look back and I'm not gonna take my hands off the plow and I'm not gonna look to the sides and be distracted but God, if you called me to it, I'm gonna give my whole life to it, not just a year to it, not just until I get offended by somebody but God, if it's your call on my life that I I'm going to throw everything I got at this thing. Because that's what it's about. Realizing that it was a precious treasure hidden in a field. And the cost is your whole life. And not to throw your life at it for any other reason than simply God asked you to do it. You know, the world will tell you to throw your life at it and you might get more followers. And some people will tell you to throw your life at it because you might get paid a little bit more. You know, I, I hate that attitude in Christianity. You know, I actually know a guy. I feel like we're family. You know, I'm just, I'm just gonna preach, ready? I know a guy. Oh, they put my parentheses in the notes, there we go. I know a guy who was on staff at a church and he said, I feel led to go and do evangelism now. And I talked to one of his friends and he said, you want to know why he went on the road? I was like, sure, I guess. He said, he realized he could make more money traveling than he could in the church. He said, who is it? I'm not saying names, bro. (laughs) But a lot of people will tell tell you to throw your life at it because maybe you can get a higher position at a better church. Or maybe you could do this here and that there. Or maybe to throw your life at it because you're welcome there. Go where God calls you, not where man applauds you. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Go where God calls you, period. It's not a comma there, there's a period there. Go where God calls you to go. 
do what God has asked you to do. Don't do it for more money. Don't do it for more influence. Don't do it for more followers. Don't do it for a position at a bigger or better church. The key is simple. Throw your life at whatever God has called you to throw your life at. If you would surrender your life to whatever God has called you to surrender your life to, I promise there will be nothing missing. There will be nothing broken and there will be nothing lost. I promise you'll be in the best place you could ever be when you're in the place that God called you to be. That it might not be the best place that other people would say it is. And it might not be making as much money as other people would think that you should. But you can't beat the satisfaction of being in the will and in the promise of God. There's nothing greater than doing what God has asked you to do. There's nothing better than laying down at night with your head on a pillow and knowing that I'm doing what God asked me to do. And if God asked me to do it, he's not going to leave me begging for bread. He's not going to leave me for dry. He's not a God that forgets you. He's not a God that's going to abandon you. He's not a God who's going to make you forgotten about because you're still seen in his eyes and he's going to raise some people up. But it's people that throw their lives at the kingdom. Not at a church. Not at a record deal. Not at more iTunes sales. Not at a podcast. Not at a YouTube channel. But who throw their lives at Jesus. Who throw their lives at the kingdom. Because the word will tell you differently than the world will tell you. The word will tell you to throw your life at it even if it's 25 people in a back town city that no one will ever know about. Well, more people should know. No, no. If God called you there, those are the people that should know. I'd rather stand in front of God and say, I did exactly what you called me to do. Then stand in front of God and say, I chase more recognition and more people and more followers. The word will tell you to throw your life at it, even if there's not an honorarium. Can we stop with that, by the way? Well, I need $3,000 a service. Oh, Judas. Oh, 30 pieces of silver, right? Oh, you don't have the faith that God's going to take care of you. Wow. That's crazy. We have to pay. We have to get paid for the highest honor that's to stand behind a pulpit and share the gospel. No, I'm not saying the minister shouldn't be taken care of because they should be. They deserve double honor according to Paul. But if God called me to go there, it's not about an honorarium. If God called you to go there, it's not about how much you're going to get paid. And it's not, well, if there's two places to go, what one's paying me more? That ain't it. God, what have you called me to do? Where have you called me to go? Maybe he called you to stay home and take none. That if you're called to it, you remain in it. To preach the full gospel, no matter what the cultural climate currently is. There's plenty of people who say, well, don't talk about homosexuality. Don't talk about transgenderism. Don't talk about church or don't talk about any of these things because they might cancel you. I'm sorry. I don't think you can cancel what's been crucified with Christ. I just don't. I can't see how it's possible that you could cancel someone who's called. I couldn't, I couldn't understand you drowning out someone who's been baptized with Christ and raised up with them. I couldn't fathom you burning someone up when there was a fourth man in the fire. I couldn't imagine you burning me out when I'm already on fire with the Holy Ghost. I couldn't imagine it. Who cares what they're going to say? Their opinion's not the one that matters. We got to throw our lives at some things. This is a fun one. Beyond how far you get offended by someone in the church that you're helping at or leading. We're going to pause on this for a minute because I'm actually pretty sick of this. Sure. Welcome to my rant. (laughs) It couldn't be me who when I get to heaven or I get to judgment and I stand in front of the Lord and he says, Why'd you stop serving where I called you to serve? I say, because Sister Mary Lou took my seat in the third row. Because the board kicked me out because they didn't like what I was doing. Because the pastor said such and such to me. 
It is so bizarre to me that we've raised up an entire generation of ministers who quit the call of God because of other people's actions. Go look on Twitter, type in deconstruction. It is the most bizarre thing because 90% of them have nothing to do with the gospel and the issue they have with the gospel. It's an issue they had with another person or how somebody did X, Y, and Z. I'm sorry, when's the last time you were perfect? When's the last time you never offended somebody? When's the last time you didn't make a mistake? When's the last time? When, like, where are we gonna stop with the fact that I quit what God was calling me to do because of somebody else. That's what my five-year-old does. I'm mad at sissy. So what'd you do? Punched her. And now I'm not gonna play with her anymore. People are trying to do that to the bride of Christ. Grow up. If you're called to it, you're called to throw your life at it beyond how people could offend you, beyond what they might say, beyond your hurt. Because if we're going to be honest about hurt and church hurt, Jesus is the one that died for the church and he was the one that was rejected by that church. He was the one that was put on the cross by that church. He's the one that actually has the most church hurt still to this day by people pimping a pulpit and people taking advantage of people. You want to talk about church hurt? Look no farther than Jesus, but he's the one that's coming to present the church as a spotless bride. Throw your life at it beyond what anybody else might say or do. Well, I'm burned out. Well, get with God. Well, I'm not paid enough. Get another revenue source. It's not for the finances. Oh, I don't understand why I'm not getting this. It doesn't matter. If God called you to it, will you throw your very life at what God called you to do? Well, I'm not getting enough views. Throw your life at whatever God has called you to do. Well, no one knows my name. Throw your life at whatever God has called you to do. I'm not making up. Throw your life at whatever God has called you to do. Well, I don't understand. Throw your life at whatever God has called you to do because it's a treasure hidden in a field and it's worth throwing our whole life at. Jesus is worth it. You know, I think the problem is we love Jesus, but we're not fully satisfied in Jesus. And a lot of people have thrown their life at church, and they've thrown their life at their music, and they've thrown their life at, at YouTube, and they've thrown their life at all these things. But have you thrown your life at Jesus? Because I'll tell you what, the church, you'll get hurt. And when you find out some people operate ministry like business, you'll get hurt. And when you find out that Christian people don't always act Christian, you'll get hurt. <laughs> getting cussed out by somebody as the pastor. Like, what is you were just singing worship an hour ago. What are you doing? But we weren't called to throw our life at those things. We were called to throw our life at Jesus. And that's the difference. You know, we think about like what we throw our life at. You know, how... Who's got the most hours logged here on Fortnite? Who got, who got, who got like 80 hours logged easy? Hands up. All right, come on, hands up. If you play Fortnite, put your hand up. You're lying, put it up. You're lying right in church. I'm just playing. All right. If you got over 80 hours logged, keep your hand up. A hundred hours logged, keep your hand up. High, nice, like you're giving your life to Jesus for the first time, nice and high so we can see it. There we go, good job, good job. Okay, over, over 100 hours, over 110 hours? You get, you still at 110 or you're out? Over 110 hours, and not to single you out, but a lot of people throw their life at things that don't have much eternal value. Okay, not to just pick on him, how many hours have you thrown at YouTube? How many of you throwing at TikTok? Let me see your screen time real quick. How many hours are you throwing at TikTok? Screen time, never heard of it. Phone gets turned off, shoved in your back pocket. You can see your screen time? Yeah. You're lying and you know it. You know, like, we really measure the things we, we throw our life at. 
And many of them have no eternal value. And I'm all for having fun and I'm all for joy. But I really want to let you know tonight that those who throw their life at the kingdom, those who throw their life at Jesus, are going to be able to stand in front of God and to the best of their, their ability say what Jesus said in John chapter 17 verse 3. He said, I did everything you asked me to do here on earth, bringing glory to your name. Now, I don't actually think there's a human being alive that could say that in front of God. But that's what I want to strive to do. And that's what I would encourage you to strive to do. To do everything that God has asked you to do, bringing glory to his name. And I believe that God's going to start raising people up. Raising people up that are going to turn this world upside down. You know, we're seeing it already. Yeah. We're seeing people on TikTok, there's, there, there'll be a thousand people get saved on one live stream. We're seeing young people all over the place starting hosting their own revivals. We're seeing school groups pop up. We're seeing mighty, mighty things happen all across this nation. And I believe that it's people that are sick and tired of seeing the same normal thing. And I believe that God's going to start to raise some people up. And he's going to start to raise some people up that turn the world upside down. And not those who are just okay with church. Because I'm done with just church. And I think our generation is just done with church. And I don't want just to go to church. I want to meet with God. I want to have a holy the encounter. I want to have my life changed. I want to see addicts set free. And I want to see those who are angry and depressed and, and full of depression and anxiety. I want to see them set free by the power of God. And I want to see those with hurt and pain touched by God and be set on fire with his love. And I think there's got to be a difference in the pulpit. But we got to stop chasing the pulpit. Because the pulpit's not the prize. Jesus is the prize. And if we look at it, who is God raising up? I believe he's raising up those whose hearts are fully turned towards him. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says that God is looking across the whole earth. You know who he's looking for? He's looking for those whose hearts are fully turned towards him. And he's looking for those whose hearts are fully turned towards him to do what with? So he can show himself strong on their behalf. You look through the scriptures, you don't want to know who God shows himself strong by? Those whose hearts are fully turned towards him. Who have fully thrown their life at what God has called them to do. And I know that God's raising some people up. And I want to be a person that's raised up by God. Not by an algorithm. Not by a denomination because I have charisma. But by God himself. Because our hearts were fully turned towards him. And those whose hearts are fully turned towards the God are the ones that, are, that, that he shows himself strong for. You want miracles and signs and wonders in your ministry? Turn your heart fully turned towards God. You want to see packed out services and people hungry for God? Turn your heart fully towards him first. This is the key. It's not trying to be somebody. It's trying to be with God. It's trying to be a reflection of God. And when our hearts are torn, turned towards God, Something shifts in us. Yeah. No, they can tell they've been with God. Yeah. They're not just another person saying some words. They can tell that you've been with God. Yeah. You want to know who God's raising up? Those who are obedient to his word. Yeah. You know, people have tried to figure out a system with church, but I found out there's not really a system. There's just direction from heaven. Because their system might work from them because it was direction from God for them. But you start putting on their systems and it doesn't fit you anymore. You know what it's like? Trying to put an elephant skin on a mouse skeleton, it's gonna crush it. It doesn't work. It's like putting on a jacket that was never made for you. It's like trying to walk in the darkness and blaming God for your missteps. Because does not scripture say that his word is a light into your feet and a lamp into your path? Does not scripture say that those who are the sons and daughters of God are less by the Spirit of God. See, we got to stop trying to do what everybody else is doing because it works for them and do what God has called us to do because it works for you. It, it is literally made perfect for you to walk fully into. Like, I wouldn't tell someone to do a free conference just because God told me to do a free conference. I wouldn't tell someone, I wouldn't tell myself to go and record an album. It would be awful. God's never called me to do that. 
And all we have across much of what we see in the church kingdom is people trying to put on what other people are doing and trying to replicate what's working for the biggest and the best right now. And their systems are great, but God probably called them to do that thing. What has God called you to do? You want to know who he's going to use? The obedient ones, when it doesn't make sense to anybody else. Look at Noah in Genesis chapter 6. It was something that had never been seen before. You don't find rain in the Bible. You don't find someone building an ark in the Bible until Noah heard a word from God that I want you to build what's never been seen for something that's never happened on this earth. And he built it, the historians say, between 60 and 100 years. He threw his life at it. And he was obedient. And his heart was fully turned towards the Lord. And when everybody else didn't see it, Noah and his family, because of obedience, made it. There's more examples. Look at Abraham. Abraham, I want you to go to a land that I've never shown you, and I want you to just bring your family, leave everything else behind. Okay? You can imagine that conversation. Sometimes I think we don't humanize the Bible enough. Imagine your reaction. You got a whole family, you got a business, you got everything. All the rest of the family's in town, and God says, hey, um, I want you to get up and move. Like, where? I'll show you on the way. <laughs> what? What do you mean? And he does it. And he gets an amazing promise in Genesis chapter 15. And then God does it to him again. Hey, Abraham, remember that son I gave you, the promised one? I want you to sacrifice him to me. Uh, yeah? Well, it's kind of bizarre. Okay. And he did it. You want to find who God raises up? It's not hard. There's a couple key ingredients. Turn your heart all the way towards him. Don't turn it towards these other foolish things that people are chasing. Look, my son has like 1.7 million views on this thing. It didn't change our life one little bit. Really, it's just like crazy to me that people actually think it's that funny. But like, those things don't change your life. At all. Even a little bit. I know people who like give their left arm for a million views on a video. It's not worth it. It'll be all done in like a week. It's like Julian's 15 minutes of fame. You tell him about it, he has the perfect reaction. This is what our reaction should be. <laughs> like, Julian, you got a million and a half views. He's like, <laughs> cool, and runs away and plays with his toys. <laughs> he doesn't even know what it means. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> and just sprints off and does something else crazy. Because <laughs> it doesn't actually mean anything. Yeah. Who cares? chasing so many wild things who does God use those who are obedient those whose hearts are fully turned towards him I've got a nice little list those with character we can talk about that for a second I think we could look across church all the way back in 1984, there was a man of God that wrote a book about these are the problems with the church and this is what's going to happen. And just about all of it happened. From sexual scandal to money scandals to abuse to run through it. I believe God's going to start raising people up with character, not charisma. So the problem is we've celebrated with people with charisma, but they had no character to keep them. And we thought they were going to help the church, but they hurt the church because now people say they can't trust the church because even the, the preachers are crooked. Yeah. I don't care about someone's charisma. I care about their character. And can I tell you, your character is more important than what you can do because your, your charisma might get you there, but it can't keep you there. Your character is what keeps you there. And I'd rather climb the ladder in God's eyes over time because I'm a man or a woman of character than shoot to the top and get exposed for my lack of character. You know, some people, you aren't where you think you should be yet because God's actually saving you from yourself. Because if you'd get where you want to be, you'd be exposed for what you're dealing with now or not dealing with now. God's raising people up with character. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
verse 20 through 22, it says, in a, in a large house, there's different vessels. There's vessels of wood and vessels of gold, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Therefore, cleanse yourself, purify yourselves, so you can be a vessel of honor, a vessel of gold, fit for special purposes. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody who'd be like, you know what, I'm good with just being a wooden one. I'll be good just for like every night dinner. Why would you settle for less? When the Bible says that a man or a woman with character will be set aside for special purposes. Like, no, I'm actually good. I'd rather deal with my problems and, and be a little bit in, a little bit out, like kind of straddle the thing, and, you know, like, I'm good. Why, why would you ever do that? Actually, I think it's impossible because scripture says it like this. Can a man drink from two cups at one time? Can a man sit at two tables at the same time? No. So you can't sit at the table of God and the table of the devil at the same time and play the, play the game. You will eventually get exposed. Yeah. Like Dr. Ward mentioned Job. You know what I love about Job? It leads off. Job 1.1. There was a man in the land of Uz who loved God and hated evil. You know what character looks like? You love God and you hate evil. Not you love God, but you're not fully satisfied in God, so you play with evil. Well, I'm just young and I'm figuring it out. No, 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 it doesn't matter your age. This is a call for Christians to be those of character. And don't make character a religious thing because character does not flow from religion. Because yeah. religion is a set of rules that eventually wears off and when you get sick of it, you walk away from it because there was something that you found that was better than or more intriguing. But character's true root is a love for God. Because if you truly love somebody, you're not going to hurt them. You're not going to backstab them. If I looked at Dr. Ward and I said, go ahead and punch your wife in the face. She's, she's going to laugh because she's, she knows that she'll kill him in his sleep if he ever did it. <laughs> but he's not actually going to do it, not because he's trying to save his, save his reputation, not because he thinks people would think ill of him, but because he loves his wife. Yeah. This is the difference. When you love God, character's easy. Yeah. Because it's a natural progression of obedience because I love. Yeah. Religion's easy to throw off. Love, love binds you. And I think that that's actually the most important thing for who's, who God is raising up. Is it's those that love the Lord. Because I know people that love the church, but they don't really love the Lord. And I know people that <laughs> love people, but they don't love the Lord. And I know people who love the church, but hate people. Which is so crazy to me, because how do you love an organization that's made up of the people? Because whatever. It's backwards. But there's this thing that has just literally been, and then, then tell me there's a time to end, so you just kind of stuck with me. There's this thing that like has been wrecking my heart lately. I heard this guy, he, he asked this question, he said, many people know what they're saved from, but they don't know what they're saved for. Oh, I was like, oh my goodness, here we go. This guy is about to drop something crazy on me. And he said, the reality is, yeah, you're saved from sin and your issues and your problems and from hell. But more importantly, you're saved for union with Christ. You're saved for a love of Christ. You're saved so that you can be in Christ and Christ can be in you. And if you look at what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 20 and 23, he says, in that day, you will know that I'm in the Father and you in me and I in you. And if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, I started... I've been praying about this and I've been thinking about this and this has been wrecking me lately because the reality is if I'm going to throw my life at Jesus, I'm going to realize that it's Christ in me and me in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that when I'm in loving union with God, that everything else is easy. Everything else is just, it is natural. This is what, what the Bible says about union with Christ is it, it likens it to a, a vine and a vineyard and, and a vine dresser in John chapter 15. That I'm the vine, Jesus. My father's the vine dresser and he prunes whatever's not fruitful, but whatever is fruitful and whatever is there will grow and be fruitful. And they'll remain in me and they'll remain in my love. And they'll have fruit and joy and a fullness of joy. You talk about union with Christ and you find that it talks about us, us being stones in a temple and all together we built this thing up and, it, and it's union with God. You talk about union with Christ and it, it likens, the Bible likens it to a marriage. That our walk with God isn't just, oh, I went to church on Wednesdays and Sundays until I died. But it's a daily walk. It's a love with God. It's a union with Christ. It's likened to a marriage. You know, uh, uh, an example that I like, who played sports? Anybody played football growing up? Oh my gosh. I guess it's a terrible example. <laughs> Missed it. Sorry. I'm going to give it anyways. But the example is like a lead blocker. We come up here real quick. You know, if I was a running back, I was never a running back. I'm not very fast. What they do is they'd have a good right guard. You look like you would be my right guard. Okay. Strong. You're good. He didn't have to know what it is. Okay. But in football, what, what you would do, look this way. There we go. Okay. Let's say the coach wants us to go through that wall. <laughs> you ready? Yeah, I can try. Oh my goodness. He's going to throw his life at it, baby. <laughs> what they'll do is they'll have a lead blocker. They're not just going to send the running back. They're going to have a lead blocker. And the lead blocker will start going the direction and the running back is going to follow. I'm just kidding. You're not going to run through the wall. No, no. <laughs> and it's what's wild about this is the lead blocker is going to take whatever was going at the running back. The lead blocker is going to clear a path. The lead blocker is there to defeat whatever is trying to defeat the running back. The lead blocker is supposed to lead him to the end zone. Bro, you start thinking about this? Union with Christ is the same thing. That if I'm in Christ, he's going to take everything that was supposed to get me. My sin, my shame, my hurt, my, my issues, my injuries. God's going to take it for me. That if I'm in Christ, he's going to lead me where I need to be. I'm going to walk in his shadows. I'm going to walk in his word and I'll have success. Does not Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 say that you shall meditate on the word and you shall, you shall speak on the word and you shall do the word and then you will be prosperous and then you will find success. What's that mean? That's union with Christ. I'm in Christ. Well, just lead block me back to your seat. Go ahead. Perfect. Look, what a great way to end an example. He's like, I, I don't even know what that sports reference was. That was weird. It's all right. You know, here's, here's the deal. is like, if I'm in Christ, that means I'm united with Christ. Think about this. Romans chapter 6 lays this out. It says, if you're crucified with Christ, you're buried with Christ, you're raised to life with Christ, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, you're given the mind of Christ, you know who God's going to raise up? Those who are in Christ. Not those that are in crisis. Not those that are just chasing a pulpit. Not those that are just chasing something bigger. I believe that God's going to start raising up those who are in Christ. And the crazy thing is, you're not just in Christ, but Christ is in you. What? Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, Do you realize this about yourselves? Christ is in you. Let me ask you this. What could you not do if Christ was in you and you actually knew it? Think about it. If Christ is in you, the hope of glory, all that Jesus did is in you. And all that Jesus did is available to you. And all that Jesus conquered, you now conquer. And all that Jesus has promised is your promise. It's not just you and Christ, it's Christ in you. Think about it like this. You're for Christ, and Christ is for you. Who's going to stop you? 
you're for Christ and Christ for you, who's going to get in the way? Who's going to derail this thing? See, when it's you're for building a bigger building only so people can recognize you, doesn't matter. When you're for more likes, when you're for fill in the blank, then it's hard for Christ to be for you. But when you're for Christ, and Christ is for you. I'm not sure what's going to stop what God has started. I'm not sure what's going to defeat the Jesus that's inside of you. I'm not sure what could try to come against. You think about Jesus, the name above all names. Jesus, the healer. Jesus, the redeemer. Jesus, the one that every single knee will bow to and confess that he's Lord. You start to talk about Jesus and you realize that it's Jesus that's inside of you and that you're inside of Jesus. It's like a protective bubble that destroys anything that tries to come against it. But the reality is it's never Jesus that steps out. It would only be us that steps out. And I believe that God's going to raise people up that remain in union with Christ. Not union with his buildings, not union with his people, but union with him. Because it's union with Christ that sets you apart. I'm so, it's, it saddens me. I just saw a statistic. 80% of the people, and I'll just say the name because I don't think it will exist much longer. 80% of the people that went to Hillsong College within 10 years weren't even serving the Lord anymore. You know what's sad about that to me? They all went there because they thought they had a call. But they must have thrown their life at the wrong thing. Because when you throw your life at the one that called you, it doesn't matter what tries to come against you. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter. Because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And I'm for Christ and Christ is for me. And it doesn't matter what I'm looking at. It matters what Jesus has done. Whatever is true of Jesus is true of you when you're in Christ. Who is God raising up? He's raising up the hungry ones. You know, maybe not the best person to quote, but uh, Kanye said this in an interview not too long ago. And I thought it was really interesting. I'm trying to be culturally relevant here. But no, he made a really good point. The rapper Kanye West, well, formerly known as Kanye West, Yee, Yee, said in an interview, he said, it's crazy to me because people keep telling me to calm down. He said, and I keep seeing these Christians that have been Christians for a long time and they're really calm. And they keep telling me to calm down. It's crazy to me because for some reason, We've made up in our minds that the longer we're in the kingdom, the more refined we got to be. The more we need to compose ourselves. I'm sorry, but hunger doesn't look like composure. But I do some crazy stuff when I'm hungry. Normally, all I do is preach about food because I am like a fat kid at heart. I love food. But food does not love me. <laughs> and I catch myself in some bad situations with food. Because I lift, but I don't look like I lift because I don't eat like I lift. And it's hard. Because when I get hungry, it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to eat it. <laughs> and I lose all my diet and all my composure if I've gone too long without. And it's wild to me because for some reason we think that we should become more composed the longer we're in Christ. I would actually think the longer I'm in Christ, the wilder I get for Christ. Bro, you know how backwards a marriage would be if the marriage on day one, they were like going, well, they do, going crazy on day one? And then 30 years in, they're like sleeping in different bedrooms. They don't even ride together. They have a meal once a week together, and their marriage is great. 
They are composed in their marriage. No, that's falling apart and falling out of love. That means you're not hungry for the person anymore. There's no desire for that marriage anymore. And why do we let that be the same way with our Christianity and our walk? I'm sorry, the longer I've been with Jesus, the more I've fallen in love. The longer I've been with the Lord, the more I want him. The more I'm with God, the more I want from God. It's not about composure, it's about hunger. You know, Mary said this in Luke chapter one, verse 53. She said, the hungry are filled with good things, but the rich are sent away empty. You wanna know who the rich are in that story? It's not talking about money. It's those say, I've had enough to eat. If you said you had enough to eat, you go away hungry. But it's the hungry that are filled with good things. You wanna know who, who God's gonna raise up? The hungry ones. You wanna know who God's gonna use? The hungry ones. The ones that aren't gonna say, well, I've been doing this for a while. Someone else can take care of that over there. No, no, it's uh, God, I want God. It's not, oh, I'll give the prayer meeting to somebody else. As I unlocked the door, I was the first one there. I was the last one to leave because the prayer meeting wasn't religious for me. The prayer meeting was chasing after God. It was, I didn't just wait for the prayer meeting, but I was the one in my prayer closet praying for revival. I was the one that was on the streets sharing the gospel. I wasn't the one that was just going through the motions. I was hungry for the Lord. It's hunger that separates. You know, you can hear hunger. Babies cry when they're hungry. I get hangry. There's a noise to hunger. Can I, can I tell you, there's a, there's a noise to hunger in the kingdom too? It sounds like loud prayer and loud worship. It doesn't sound refined and, oh, it's not that. There's hunger and you can hear it and you can see hunger. Hunger will make you do some crazy stuff. Some of y'all been hungry for a boy or a girl and you were up on, on FaceTime till four or 5 a.m. Like, oh baby, we fell asleep on the phone. When's the last time you fell asleep with the Lord? You were chasing him through the midnight hours. When's the last time you were up with God and you woke up with your Bible on your face and you, I don't even realize when I fell asleep, I was with God. You can see hunger, you can hear hunger, you can feel hunger. God's raising up hungry ones. He's not raising up refined people. I think the world's sick of refined people. He's raising up hungry people. Amen. Now, what will you do for the Lord? What, how, how, how far is too far for you? Because that's where you quit the call. How long is too long? Because that, that's where you should, Like, if you're not going to finish, don't start. Sure. Right. We'll say it like that. If you're not going to finish, don't start. Right. Sure. If you're not going to throw your life at it, don't start it, please. Because yeah. someone else will pick it up. Yeah. If you're not going to be one that'll sell out because you realize that's the treasure hidden in the field, it's Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Don't start until you realize the great treasure that he is, yeah. that he is all fulfilling, that he gives everything that we've ever needed and wanted and desired. I believe he's going to raise up hungry ones. You know, there's, there's positions of hunger. You think about Mary in his alabaster box, hunger sacrifices. Yeah. Talk about Zacchaeus. Bro, that, that was hunger. That man climbed a tree. It's like a little guy climbs a tree, embarrasses himself in front of everybody, but he was hungrier than the rest because he was willing to go out on a limb. It works. It works. You know, I felt the Lord ask me this a couple years ago. He said, could you be the hungriest person in your generation? I was like, dang. God, that's a hard question. I came to this, this conclusion. I can try. Sure. Yeah. You want to know who God's going to raise up? Hungry ones. Yeah. You want to know who's God, who God uses? Those whose hearts are fully turned towards him. Yeah. You want to know who God uses? Hungry ones who live with character. You want to know who God uses? Hungry ones that remain in union with Christ. I believe that we need a fresh touch of hunger. Yes, yes. And I believe we need to make decisions. Am I going to throw my life at this thing? 
or am I just going to kind of do a thing because that's what everybody thinks I should do? You know, I think about hungry ones. We just did this program uh, through the Upper Conference this year. It was called Generational Missionaries. Because I believe every generation is responsible for their generation. You know, when I look back, if Jesus tarries and I look back, if Jesus doesn't come back and I look across my life, whatever happened in my generation, I want to take personal responsibility for it. And I believe that's our, all of our responsibility. <clears throat> so we started this program called Generational Missionaries. And uh, we ended up with like 15 kids. We didn't know what to expect. It was our first time doing it. And uh, we laid out a program, Bible reading, notes, like how to start, uh, whatever you want to start, vision planning. We threw everything on it. We gave kids money to start school groups, and it was awesome. And near the end of it, we put in the chat, and the question was, who was testimony? And this kid from West Virginia responded, and this is the, one of the coolest things I've ever heard. <laughs> he said, after our last call, I realized I needed to be more, more bold. So I started to pray for boldness. And what he didn't realize is when you pray for boldness, God gives you an opportunity for, to be bold, which is normally an awkward situation. <laughs> so he said, I was sitting in class. And my teacher started mocking Pentecostal people, people who lay hands on the sick, people who speak in tongues. She started mocking them. And then she pulled out a voodoo doll and started explaining pieces and portions of it and started poking on this thing. He said, and boldness that I've been praying for rose up inside of me. And this young man, I believe he's a junior in high school, stood up and said, that's witchcraft. <laughs> that's bold. You got to imagine like the rest of the room, right? You imagine being the kid behind him. <laughs> what the heck? You imagine being the kid in front of them. Like, bro, I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm terrified to look behind me right now. <laughs> He said the room got dead silent. And then he started to share how God healed him. How God saved him. And in that classroom, seven kids gave their life to Jesus. That's a hungry one. Then he went to Woodshop later. And the kids were all asking him, what happened? What were you doing? That's crazy. This And another kid gave his life to Jesus later in the day. Then the teacher apologized to him. That's who God's raising up. Those who throw their life at it. The hungry ones. The hungry ones. My question for you is simple. Where are the hungry ones? Where are the ones that are going to throw their life at the kingdom? Where are those ones? Because those ones are going to be the ones that turn the world upside down. Those ones aren't going to care. They're going to go after the call. Those ones are going to be the ones that God uses in this generation. And I believe I'm looking at a room full of hungry ones. But you know what I love about hunger? The hungry are filled with good things. More good things. And more good things. And more good things. And more good things. Matthew chapter 5 says it like this. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, ready? They shall be filled. Not might be filled. Might. It's not, oh, they're already full. No, no, they'll be filled. And I think that when we look at it, Really, I think our generation has a hunger problem. Because I think we've been hungry for the wrong things and we've been throwing our life at them. But if we could be hungry for the Lord and throw our life at Him, what would it look like? And I don't think we should get more calm over time. 
I think we should get ridiculous over time. I think this thing should be blown right out. My question is simple. Where are the hungry ones? If you're in this room, can I have the band come back up? If you're in the room saying, I'm a hungry one, will you just lift your hands up right now? Say, maybe saying, you know, I'm not hungry, but I want to be hungry. Will you go ahead and stand to your feet and just lift your hands? Start to pray to the Lord. You know what he responds to? Hungry hearts. You know who he answers? Hungry ones. Go ahead in this room from the back to the front. Start to let them know that you're hungry, that you desire them. Father, would you release yourself even more in this room for the hungry ones? Father, you said that the hungry are filled with good things. Lord, would you start to convict us in this room of the things that we've been throwing our life at that have been a waste of time? Lord, would you convict us of having ideologies that aren't actually what line up with your word but are of the world? Father, would you put in us a fresh hunger tonight? Would you raise us up as hungry ones? Lord, even as John G. Lake prayed. Even as he said. If he could release one thing, it would be spiritual hunger for the next generation. Lord, Would you give us a fresh hunger? Thank you, Jesus. You know, we're going to say in this this, this moment, I I read a story one time, and it was talking about this grandfather who was watching his his granddaughter. And uh, they were at a park. And he kept looking up and making sure that she was right in front of him playing. And he said as he was sitting there, she was just a ways off, just in eyesight. And a man came and grabbed his granddaughter and started sprinting away with her. So he got up and started chasing after this man who had his granddaughter. And he was out of breath and he was sweating. And he felt like his heart was going to explode. But he chased that man until he was able to tackle him and get his granddaughter. He said later in the day he was praying. And the Lord said, what would it look like if you chased me as hard as you chased that treasure? What would life look like if you chased me as hard as that moment? Past any pain, past any discomfort, past any moment. And I was the treasure that you were giving your life for. What would life look like if we lived with a hunger for the Lord like that? Can I tell you, you'd be the one that's raised up to change a city. You'd be the one that's raised up to change a generation. You'd be the one that's raised up to bring freedom to the captives. You'd be the one that's used to lay hands on the sick. You'd be the one that sets new songs that start to bring freedom and hope and life. You'd be the ones if you could chase God like that man was chasing his granddaughter. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to know more about Faith Bible College International, please go to faithbci.org. And find out how you can enroll in our programs or partner with our mission. Again, thank you for listening to FBCI Podcast. Join us next time for more teaching and encouragement. Remember, you make a world of difference.